Well, good morning. Uh, it's good to be with you, and it's a real privilege to be here at Monty for your special missions uh, Sunday. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, and we're going to read from verse 13 to 20. Uh, this morning, as we look at God's Word, I guess my purpose is two things, or three. In fact, uh, I, I want you to be informed and encouraged by what God is doing on the earth in the 21st century. I want you to be challenged by the unfinished task. And I want you to be committed to prayer and spiritual warfare in the authority that God has provided through the Lord Jesus Christ. They're the three things that I want us to grapple with this morning as we look at that unfinished task. Matthew chapter 16 and reading from verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by the Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. I've entitled our thoughts this morning, What on Earth is God Doing? Some of you, I'm sure, are familiar with Isaiah 43, verse 18 and 19, that says, Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old, Behold, I will do a new thing. Now I shall spring forth, shall you not know it. I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. So we are going to give thanks and praise God for the past, yes, but we're not to get stuck in the past, are we? We're to be appreciative of the past, but we're to be looking forward because God is always doing something. What on earth is the new thing that God is actually doing today locally and globally. Some of you might think that things have never been worse than they are today and you're just sitting around waiting for Jesus to come again. Some Christians have that sort of perspective. Some, no matter what we see for, or no matter what we don't see with the naked eye, Jesus is very clear that the Godhead is always doing something. I wonder if you believe that this morning. Where is the kingdom of God breaking out? Where do you recognise that breaking out? How encouraging it is to hear of what God is doing through those that you support financially and in prayer. The partnerships that you have with Phil and Sandy Jones in Mexico, uh, ICC and Wycliffe, Simon in Zambia, Joshua and Sylvia in Rwanda, Samaritan's Purse and others serving in China and East Asia. 
Let me give you a few statistics. These are from the Barna Group, who do various polls on the Christian world and otherwise. To give you an idea of what God's up to, last Sunday, more Christians were in church in China than all of mainland Europe. Isn't that incredible? China has known massive growth over the last 20 years. It is estimated that there's over 100 million Chinese who are now followers of Jesus. Some would suggest that there's something like 3,000 people a day coming to faith in Christ in China. There are more Anglicans attending in Kenya, South Africa and Tanzania than Anglicans that attend church in all of Britain and America combined. More Presbyterians attend church in Ghana than in Scotland and globally the evangelical wing of the church, particularly the charismatic wing, has grown to half a billion people in the last 60 or so years. But there is more. There's an unprecedented harvest of souls in Latin America, Africa and Asia. There are prayer movements that have sprung up over the last 20 years. Houses of prayer, which are really the the powerhouse of what God is doing globally. Nola and I were in Morocco just in 2015 and we attended one of those houses of prayer where 24-7 they are manned for prayer. It was in a medina with hundreds of thousands of people in Morocco and this was a a house, an apartment that looked over the Medina and 24-7 they prayed for the hundreds of thousands of people within that Medina. Or great organisations like the 24-7 prayer have made massive impact on the global church. There have been more Muslims come to Jesus in the last 20 years than ever before. So whatever the bad news is that we get on our daily diet, this is what the kingdom news is. What God is doing on the earth. Buddhist countries such as Mongolia and Cambodia and Vietnam are seeing unprecedented Christian growth. In 2010, the church in Iran grew by 19.5%. There are presently hundreds of believers in Kabul in Afghanistan. Egypt now has over 2,000 registered prayer watchers of 24-hour prayer groups. There have been breakthroughs in India among the Dalits, as many of you recognise, the untouchable people, those who are oppressed. And an estimated 25 million people found their faith in Jesus Christ last year in 2018. What on earth is God doing? Contrary to popular opinion, the church is the biggest provider for AIDS care in the world. In the UK alone, it is the church that runs more schools and youth and toddler groups, debt counsellors and feeds more families than any other voluntary agency. Jesus said, we read it in Matthew 16 and verse 18, I will build my church... And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Now there's still a lot of work to be done and let me give you a few more figures as we saw on the video. There are some 17,000 people groups in the world and there are still 7,000 that are categorised as either least reached or unreached categories. 
they still need to hear of the Lord Jesus Christ and the good news. That's a total of three plus billion people. Well, 1.6 billion Muslims in the world and 90% of those are among the unreached groups. Of the 7,000 world languages that are there, there's 1,700 of them without the scripture. So there is a lot of work still to be done. Yet we can confess Jesus is building his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now I've provided with you for you and if you'd like to take that after the service on the table here uh, the global trends of mission and some hard facts and the status of world evangelization there and some uh, uh, yeah websites that you get onto you some of you may be surprised that uh, God's got a website called godreports.com and you can get on there and find out what God's doing and there's other websites there that you get an idea of exactly what God is doing so please feel, feel free to take them after the service but we tend to think of church growth in relation to numbers and nations now that's correct at one level of course Jesus said, go therefore into the world and make disciples of all nations. There is a day coming when Revelation chapter eleven fifteen says that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. So the Lord is interested in numbers. He's interested in nations. However, this morning in the time frame that we have together, I want you to consider church growth not from the numerical perspective or the national perspective, but from the perspective of authority. Jesus said, I will build my church. When he gave the Great Commission at the end of the Gospel narrative, he said, go into all the world and preach the Gospel. But he also said, and all authority has been given to me in heaven and upon earth. Go and make disciples. I want us to consider the spread of the Kingdom of God, the building of the church the growth of the Christian global population in relationship to the authority that Jesus Christ provides for his church. So to understand that, we need to go to the context of our reading. If you look at verse 13, you'll see where Jesus and the disciples were in the region of Philippi. It is a beautiful site on the north shore. This does have a... a yeah, here we are. Up, no, no, we don't. No, all right. We'll get it. up the north. Have a look up the north there, north of the of, of Lake of Galilee. It's located some uh, fifty kilometres from Bethsaida, and it's on the slopes of Mount Hermon. It's a city that lay in the territory that was ruled by Philip, and it was in, influenced extensively by the Greek and Roman culture. You could see it everywhere. It was a Jewish region. It was primarily Gentile and it was known for its worship of Greek gods and even its temple to Pan, who was the god of nature. This piece of land dates right back to its pagan practices to the Old Testament where Baal worship took place. Fast forward uh, from the Old Testament, when Philip became ruler... He rebuilt this place and renamed the city after Caesar Tiberius as Caesarea Philippi. And he even built a great marble temple and there to the godhead of Caesar because the Romans believed that Caesar was God and he named the city after himself, of course. Now think of this. 
Jesus deliberately, so if you like, he chooses the background of the world's religions and their history. He steps onto the stage of the theatre of all the rival deities and of theologies and beliefs around the world and all idols that you could think possible and he demands to be compared to them. Who do people say that I am? Now I want you to notice that Jesus didn't have an identity crisis. He said, whom do men say that the Son of Man is? He understood who he was but he wanted to know what other people were saying. In fact, I don't really think it was popular opinion that he was interested in or the ideas of others. He was chiefly concerned about what his chosen 12 disciples thought about him. So in verses 15 to 16, he quizzes them and Simon Peter comes out with this answer, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But before that, These, I would say, religious opinions came forth. Some people say that you're John the Baptist. Some think you're Elijah because there's a prophecy in Malachi at the end of the Old Testament saying that Elijah would come back at the end times. Some say you're Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was believed by the Jews to be immortal because there was no ever record of his death. But Jesus is probing these 12 followers of his. What do you really think about me? He's asking for spiritual insight that's needed to see Christ as he really is. You see, he wanted them specifically to see him in all of his authority. He says in verse 18, or how, how do you see, how do we see Jesus this morning? Or better still, how do you see his authority? Do you see the gates of hell prevailing against Christ's church? Do you see the gates of hell advancing against Christ's church? Do you see us on the back foot? Do you see the extension of the kingdom of darkness as being escalated over and above the speed and extension of the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God's dear Son? Do you have a pessimistic view of what's going on in the world rather than an optimistic, triumphant view? Is your concept, let's hold the fort till Jesus comes, I'm a Christian, get me out of here, is as quick a response as possible? What does this mean? Verse 18, I will build my church. It's speaking of the authority of Christ on the earth today. He's doing it and he's going to continue to do it. It's his church. Notice that in verse 18. I will build my church. It doesn't belong to Montmorency Community Church. It doesn't belong to other expressions of the church within Melbourne or within Australia or across the globe. We need to get this kingdom perspective rather than just the local perspective. It's all about Jesus. We're not in competition. We're not in rivalry. Other churches are together. We're meant to be cooperating. We're meant to be a family. It's his church and it belongs to him. What's Christ's intention for the church in this verse? I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, that's lost on a lot of us. 
because we don't have the background history and context of some of these phrases, like gates in ancient society. Gates were the place of authority in ancient society. The gate of a city was a place that you would go to get a judgment. It was a legal place. It was the place where the governing authorities would meet together. That's why sometimes when there was an execution, it happened out at the gates. What Jesus was saying here is, I will build my church and the governing authority of hell or Hades shall not prevail against it. Do you understand what's being said here? Stay with me now because we progress a little further. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The word for the church here is ecclesia, as most of you know, in the original Greek language. Do you know that ecclesia was, in Bible times, they would have known the word as a governing assembly, as a legislative assembly, if you like, or a parliament. So now think of what Jesus is saying. I will build my governing assembly and the authorities of hell that are presently ruling and reigning in society will not be able to prevail against my authority. That means that you and I are agents of change. That means that you, if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning and if you're in a present church body, we are the ones who are bringing heaven's influence on the earth supernaturally. I love the verse in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10. It says, God's intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Now I don't want to go into this in detail except to say that there were gods with a small g, ruling authorities, angelic beings who were cast out of heaven at the rebellion of Lucifer and they were given certain authorities over this planet. They were, they were sent to earth. But man's commission was to subdue the earth under God's domain and authority. And he succumbed to Satan and he came under the clutches of Satan. But Jesus came into this world and was manifested in the flesh to destroy the works of the wicked one. When he went to the cross and he bled and died, he wrested from the hands of Satan the authority over the world. Now we as his church have been given by him the authority to go and subdue the earth again. That's who we are. What this verse is saying is that the whole universe is like a stadium of those principalities and powers, those gods with a small g, and those demons are looking on. The angels, even they are in awe and wonder of the authority that God has given us. And they are watching and waiting till we should be made known the manifold wisdom of God on the earth. We live often as Christians in a puny existence and many times in the church we have this back foot mentality of cowering in a corner and being afraid to raise our voice or being intimidated by the darkness. 
when this is the authority that we have, this is the calling that we have been given. But how is that done? Look at verse 19. Jesus said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now that wasn't exclusively to Peter in chapter 18. He says it again in verse 18. Jesus is saying, I've given you authority to bind certain things on earth that are not in keeping with my will in heaven. And I'm giving you authority to loose certain things on earth that are according to my will in heaven. Now this binding and loosing is really forbidding certain things and it's allowing other things. And that's the church's job in community. Not necessarily doing it through law or through politics, but doing it in the spiritual realm through the weapons of our warfare that God has given to us. So we need to get into binding and loosing mode. We, we do this through praying over the spiritual gates of the town and the city or society. Spiritual gates are the things that we either close to evil or we open to evil or open to righteousness. In the spiritual realm, this is what we're called to do. So, so the law, policing, education, entertainment, religion, we could go through them all. There are several of them, but this is our job here on earth. We need to realise who we are and we need to realise who Christ is. He's not somebody who's just gone away and keeping quiet until he returns again and conquers the world, but he's building his church today. And Satan is no match for him. So think about this. Jesus literally and metaphorically travelled to the very gates of hell, the mouth of Hades, and he proclaimed all authority in heaven and on earth and was given, that was given to him. And he asked his disciples, do you believe it? And it's sort of all down to whether we believe it or not. Jesus taught us to pray and he said, after this manner pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That we live under the an open heaven in Jesus Christ, that all the promises of God are yes and amen to us. He has given us this authority to bind and loose, to see heaven come down. And that brings us to a different aspect of of thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as it is in heaven. A totally different aspect to what we've often just repeated ad lib. Listen, I know things are not good in Melbourne. Home invasions, carjackings, drugs, family violence, things are bad everywhere and sometimes we, we've got to stop saying things are hard here, things are hard there, things are hard everywhere and we need to pray about the drug use, we need to pray about the law and order issues, we need to do the binding and the loosing, we need to do all the spiritual warfare that God has equipped us to do. 
But let's not have our eyes down on our shoes and realise that there's a God in heaven. The Son of God has risen. He is exalted. He has ascended. He has poured out his spirit at Pentecost and he gives you and he gives me authority to bring his rule and reign in the world, in Melbourne, in Australia and around the world. The fastest growing church in the world has taken root in one of the most unexpected and radicalised nations on earth. According to a recent film called Sheep Among Wolves, an outstanding two-hour documentary about the revival that has taken place in Iran, the Iranian awakening is rapidly reproducing discipleship movements that owns no property or buildings, no central leadership and is predominantly led by women. The documentary is called Frontier, it's produced by Frontier Alliance International, FAI, which supports disciple making teams targeting the unreached and unengaged within that 1040 window. There is, in fact, a mass exodus leaving Islam for Christianity within Iran, according to this film that Frontier Alliance International has has given. What if I told you, one of the uh, people interviewed on the film says, what if I told you that Islam is dead? One unidentified Iranian church leader says on this film, what if I told you that the mosques are empty inside Iran? What if I told you that no one follows in Islam inside Iran? Now, when I saw the film, and the film is available, it's on the, the website, uh, you know, I thought, oh, that's hard to believe. Would you believe me, this person that was interviewed? Of course you wouldn't. This is exactly what is happening, he said, inside Iran. God is moving powerfully inside Iran. When you ask most people what is the most common threat to Israel and they will say Iran is the most common threat to Israel. And that's true. But behind the curtain of what God is doing, God is raising up one of the fastest growing movements of former Muslims that are falling in love. They are falling in love not only with the God of Israel not only Israel's king, not only Israel's Messiah, they are actually falling in love with the Jewish people. As a result of this, you have a prayer movement in Iran that is crying out for the salvation of Iran, salvation of Israel, sorry. And within Iran, there is this movement, it's happening right now, before our very eyes, that are praying for the salvation of Israel. And whilst with Iran at a political level might, might devastate Israel with their bombs, there is a movement that is praying that Israel will recognise her Messiah. And so the news is... Oh, we, we, oh no, we're doing okay with time. Yeah, we're nearly finished. <laughs> you know, we, we need to, to praise God for what he is doing in the world. And uh, uh, I lost my way there a little bit. But uh, yeah, here, here is this binding and loosing. And, and I, I make that suggestion too. Now, 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 this is not a way out sort of extreme charismatic thing that we're going to be demanding of God and demanding uh, of God this and that. It's a means by which through a prayer movement, we believe God is building his church. 
We're taking God and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And God's people must fervently pray for the salvation of our neighbours and of our nation and of the, and, and the, the nations of the world. Binding the work of Satan. Reclaiming so that what will happen on earth is what is happening in heaven. And this is the challenge. And this is the call that God gives to us. The binding and loosing, and there's various things listed there on the overhead that, you know, it's through the name of Jesus. It's through prayer. It's, it's through binding the strongholds. It, it's through exercising those weapons of warfare that we will see his name honoured and glorified, lifted up, and the nations will be drawn to him. And our nation, our community, will be drawn to him. So this morning I said as we started out, I wanted you to be informed and encouraged by what God is doing, and I hope you've been encouraged by that. I said that I wanted to be, you wanted to be challenged by the unfinished task. There is still a great job, a task to be done, a job to be done. We still need to review how we distribute financial and human resources so that they're targeting the unreached people of the world. And I trust that you'll be committed to prayer and spiritual warfare to see the authority that God has provided for us and walk tall, not cow-towering to the darkness, but allowing the light through you, through me, to destroy the darkness and establish his kingdom. Let's bow together in prayer. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the time that we've been able to spend together this morning around your word and contemplating what you are doing across the world. Sometimes we forget, because of the darkness of the world around us, that one in three people on the face of this planet, of the 7.7 billion people, are followers of Jesus. One third of the world's population, perhaps it's a little bit less than that now because of the growth, but Lord, you are doing an amazing work and we're honoured to be regarded as partners with you. And we pray that your Holy Spirit will lay upon our heart the burden for the people in our community will respond to those needs in a positive way, a burden for our nation, a burden for the nations of the world. Thank you for the partnerships that we have. Thank you that we can release resources for those partnerships to be successful. And Father, may the call of prayer come to us so that we'll walk and exercise the authority that you've given to us, not to walk in fear, but through our intense love for you and for his people. Lord, thank you. We commit ourselves to your purpose afresh. In Jesus' precious name we pray. And the people said, Amen. Amen.